In our practice together here on retreat, we've been inviting and encouraging ourselves and each other to pay attention to the body, to reconnect with the direct experience of bodily life in sitting, walking, standing. And I'd like to reflect some this evening on the the wisdom that we can receive through our engagement with, our connection with the body in this way. Is the volume okay? It's not too loud. Okay. Good, thank you. So one of the things we notice, I think it kind of stands out pretty clearly and pretty quickly to us, even if the instruction wasn't saying to us, feel your body as you sit, notice how your body feels when it breathes, what it's like to experience that. Even if that instruction wasn't being given to us, just by sitting down and being still and turning our attention to what's happening right here, I think we would notice, and we do notice, that we have a body. This experience of being here and now, of being present, is very much involved with and related to the experience of this body, which is also here and now. It's not something from the past or the future, but in fact it's an experience that's available to us directly. And the body is one of the primary areas of exploration in this practice. It's the first of the four foundations of mindfulness that the Buddha spoke of. Attention to the body and the the basic experience of our physicality and how it's expressed. He also spoke of paying attention to the quality of our experiences that are either pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. It's the second foundation. The third foundation is paying attention to the state and condition of our consciousness, the state of mind we could say. And the fourth foundation is the attentiveness to the different objects and we could say experiences that arise in and through that consciousness. And so we'll be exploring all these areas of contemplation, of reflection in our practice over the days, but staying with this this beginning point of the body, we start off with a sense of, yes, there is this body, we have this. And so when we, when we turn towards it, we can see that we might think of it in terms of a certain appearance. The body looks kind of a certain way. We have ideas, concepts, images of it that might be pleasing to us or not so pleasing. We might be rather pleased and happy with how it looks or maybe not. We might tend to measure its dimensions in different ways and come up with the idea that it's just right. Or, more likely, we tend to think it's a little bit too much of this and not quite enough of that. So we often tend to relate to our body in this very conceptual way, involving a lot of measurement, a lot of comparison, a lot of judgment, often. And it's not really a very satisfactory way. It doesn't bring a lot of satisfaction to relate to our bodies in this way. It can, in fact, be really painful. So we're asked to relate to our body in terms of what is more direct and also what is more significant. And what is more direct is the the bare sensations, the direct experiences. Before we conceptualize them, before we measure them or compare them or evaluate them, we see that bodily life is made of sensations that are warm and cool, feel tight or loose, hard or soft, fluid or still rigid or flexible. And we can experience the body directly like that. We start to get to know it, to get to feel it, not as an image or a concept, but as a a felt experience, directly known, directly experienced. And as we do this, what we can also start to notice, and really in terms of what's significant about our bodies, what we start to sense or feel is that they're kind of vulnerable. They're subject to experiences that we find difficult. 
not at all easy to experience, hard to bear. And we're invited to reflect on this, to contemplate this, to be aware of this truth. The, the Buddha spoke of the body in this way, to be aware that we're having this body, this body is having been born. It's subject to aging, to sickness, to death. And that this is the nature and the significance that we need to reflect upon. Rather than relating to a body as something that we're supposed to somehow make it look more attractive or pleasant or always be comfortable when it's not possible for it always to be comfortable, like to see what is it that we experience this condition that is subject in this way to aging, to sickness, to death. To actually make peace with that reality is to open up the possibility of a profound transformation in our life, which when we stay distant from it, we continually struggle against that truth, and it plays itself out in so many ways. In terms of acknowledging and recognizing this, it's sort of... uh, in terms of recent developments here at Gaia House, rather pertinent in that we've been very kindly had a donation of a skeleton, which some of you may have uh, encountered in the walking room, a a human skeleton. And this is a a a traditional object of contemplation in Buddhist practice as a a very real thing that reminds us that, yeah, we're not here forever. And the classic contemplation is often, you know, that my body too will one day look like this. It's kind of like, wow, <laughs> that's a different relationship to my body than when I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how can I get it to look the way I want it to look or feel the way I want it to feel? Just somehow sensing that. It's not something about being macabre or sort of gloomy, oh no. It's more like, huh, wow, yeah, that's true. There's something of profound significance in that. And when we, when we open to it in that way, when we don't struggle with it, it can actually bring us into a sense of aliveness and openness in the face of that truth, of that reality. Whereas when we don't look at it, when we don't really give attention to our body, when we don't really reflect on the truth of bodily experience, that it is subject to aging, to sickness, to discomfort and pain at times. When we don't reflect on that, when we don't let that in, we can easily find ourselves struggling with, frustrated about, and in conflict with the basic realities of our existence and playing that out in our life. Fighting against the way things are. Wanting them to be other than as they are. To somehow conform or to fit in with how we would like it to be. What would suit us. Now of course there's space and there's place in life for cultivating and developing that which supports us, that which serves us and that which we and sort of finding ways to move towards that which we wish to bring more of into our life. And yet the tendency to kind of rigidify, to tighten, to feel like somehow we are in conflict with the way things are, in conflict with life, and in conflict with this very basic reality of our body's temporiness, impermanence. These are areas that we're asked to look at or to notice. There's a it's a rather lovely story, which I understand it to be an actual you know, conversation, essentially, that took place that I think points rather usefully to how we get into this kind of situation. And it's a transcript of a radio conversation between a US naval ship with the Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland. It took place in October 1995. And it begins with a communication from the American ship and I think it's in that form of telex that ships use to communicate with each other, um, <clears throat> says, please divert your course 15 degrees the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians respond, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The American ship, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the your is in capitals. And the Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your, in capital, your course. And you kind of get the sense of how when things aren't going the way we want them, we, we kind of sort of, we get angry. 
We try and make things get out of our way. So the Americans respond in capital letters the whole thing this time. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's 15 degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians. This is a lighthouse. Your call. It's like in our lives, it's so easy to assume that what we encounter shouldn't be there and should get out of our way. Things that are difficult, things that are unwanted, things that are frightening to us. And so much we, we exert pressure on life or on ourselves to try and get those things to go away, to make them not happen. And yet, life is the way it is. Life includes these challenges, these difficulties, these times of discomfort or distress of body or heart or mind. And it can't be other than that any more than the lighthouse can get out of the way of the ship. But we need to understand that. We need to see how in that process what happens is that we contract, we tighten, and we start to close down. We get into a sort of a a conflict mentality with life. And when we come here on retreat, what we notice is that it's painful to inhabit that condition. It's painful to be conflicting with, to be arguing with, to be constantly judging or criticizing or reacting to the way things are. It's painful. And it doesn't resolve them. They don't somehow disappear. The lighthouse doesn't go 15 degrees north and get out of our way. Because it can't. It's the ship. It's us. We need... I mean, it's kind of funny to laugh at the American ship, but it's humorous because we recognize, at some level, I imagine, certainly I do, recognize ourselves in that. And yet... We can see there's only one option here if there isn't to be a collision. And that's taking responsibility ourselves for addressing the way things are. This pattern of reactivity, we need to notice it. We need to be able to name it and see it clearly. It arises in so many different ways. It arises in relationship to what goes on in our physical body as we sit in terms of times uncomfortable sensations we call painful or difficult, at times sort of energy that feels restless and overwhelming or different ways we experience the body. And equally it arises with regard to the mind and the heart, experiences that are not easy for us to encounter, to bear. And that, that, that tendency to push away, that tendency to want to get rid of, to somehow want to avoid, that we can encounter, that we see... While it's painful and it leads to contraction, it doesn't serve us to judge it or to reject it or in any way to push that away, to make that the problem. But we do need to understand it. We do need to look at it. And essentially that tendency, that reaction, that pushing away, it's coming from an attempt to take care of ourselves. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to take care of this body and heart that is vulnerable that is subject to discomfort, to pain, to ultimately to sickness, to ageing, to death. And so if we can allow ourselves to feel into the caring that's there in the experience, it's a very different, it has a very different effect than when we simply get carried away and identify with the rejecting, the pushing away, the not willing to have, to accept, to receive this experience. Because the effect of that is a sense, again, it's like a hardening. It's like we kind of rigidify, we get solid. And the, the felt sense of it is of closing down, of losing contact, of not really being sensitive in the way that allows us to feel and be touched by our life. 
when we when we feel more that sense of the the caring, oh, oh wow, this is hard for me to experience. Rather than I hate it, make it go away. It's like oh, this is hard for me to experience, with a sense of kindness, with a sense of compassion, understanding that's what's going on. Then that actually supports us in staying open and staying soft and staying sensitive. And although that might be at times tender or painful, there's also something really important for us in that, in that we we stay in touch with our our aliveness. We stay in touch with our the the very sensate quality of our existence. We don't close down in that way. And we can see that so much of that closing down comes out of a, a fear that we can't we can't cope with, we can't bear this experience. We can't we can't go there. And yet that's often not true. When we really stop and turn towards our experience, if something uncomfortable or difficult is happening, we're already with it. It's already possible for us to be there. And yet what happens very often is the concern is, well, but what if it stays? What if it continues? Then I won't be able to be with it. And now this is a sort of kind of classic scenario that unfolds where we're sitting there and our knee starts to ache and it's like, oh, ah, it's a bit sore, sure. But, and the thought is, well, yeah, I can be with that, but what if it, what if it continues? What if it gets worse? And you know, we start thinking about what's going to happen after days of this this pain in our knee and extended periods of meditation. And before we know, it, we're imagining the, the ambulance pulling up at Guy House and being wheeled off, and you know, spending the rest of our life in a in a sort of a, a wheelchair because of this pain in our knee. And it's like we've been pulled out of the experience, which yeah, it was painful, uncomfortable, into the future, and that whole future scenario is really painful and unbearable. And we think, I can't bear the pain in my knee. But no, it's actually, I can't bear the story I'm telling myself about it. But somehow I've confused the two. <coughs> and it's, not to un- it's important we don't underestimate the power of this. Once when I was... Um, Travelling in Asia quite some years ago now, I, I got very ill and I was taken to hospital somewhat, I think, pretty much like a sack of potatoes over someone's shoulder because I could really not um, hardly move at all myself. And after a whole lot of tests and things, the doctor came in and he sort of looked down at me with some degree of sort of compassionate concern, I guess, and he said, well, we think you might have uh, probably hepatitis and maybe malaria as well. And... When I heard hepatitis, I was like, oh no. And then malaria. Something in me went, just this incredible terror. I'm going to die. I can't survive that. That'll be too much. Now, fortunately, I didn't have malaria. It was just hepatitis, but um, which wasn't much fun. But there was this moment in which just that complete terror of my being annihilated by whatever it was I was facing came through. And it's like, oh. And then it's like, oh no, actually... It's just really uncomfortable right now, and I'm okay. I'm in hospital. I'm going to be looked after. And yet, the way that fear comes up, and it pulls us out of where we are into the future, we need to see how that happens, because it's easy to live our lives constantly, pulled out of where we are into the future, trying to figure out how to avoid the thing that we're afraid of. Continuing or reappearing, so much energy, so much of our effort to in in mental activity is about looking into the past to see what was the cause of the things that scare me that happened, how how they came to be, and then trying to figure out how I can prevent them continuing or ever happening again. And in that cycle of reactive thinking, we become consumed in a contracted and painful condition. But we don't realise it. Often we don't realise it. Mark Twain once observed, he said, almost all of the worst experiences of my life never actually happened. (laughs) It's like, 
the fear that we get caught up in about what might happen actually becomes the worst experiences of our lives. So learning to recognize fear, and fear is very much root in the sense of the fact that the body isn't going to last forever, that's for sure. And yet we're somehow trying to make sure that it does, and we're going to fail ultimately. So no wonder we're afraid at one level. It makes sense. And yet there's a different way in which that can affect us when we're aware of it, when we're really with it. Because when we get pulled out of the immediate experience of maybe there's something threatening or dangerous, rather than really being in contact with that, when we go out into the future, we're not really here to protect ourselves, to take care anymore. We're lost. And we often end up hurting ourselves further. When we really open to the fact of that, that vulnerability, that sensitivity, that there is the potential for harm, for pain. And we're really with it. When we're really sensitive, when we're really present, it's quite different. And again, in terms of, for me, an experience that I, I remember very vividly illustrating this, I was once walking in the, the mountains of New Zealand, where I, where I come from, with some friends. And there was a, it was a, it was a winter, we were going through a, a winter route through... Um, through Alpine Pass, and the particular place where the track normally goes in summer, there's a big avalanche bluff sitting above it, so you don't go that way. You walk out across this frozen lake, which is a kind of an interesting thing to do up in the mountains, to cross a frozen lake, um, although it's reliably well frozen, generally. Um, walking along and just testing every step with my ice axe. And then after a while, getting quite confident, it's pretty solid, this ice, yeah, it's all right, and just every second or every third step. And then at some point, um, I went through the ice. And it was just in a moment, putting my foot down, weight into it, and whoomph, went through. Fortunately, I didn't go all the way under. And I just caught myself with my hand on one side and the other of the hole and just frozen there for, well, you know, just, ah. And of course, you can imagine a sort of little ripple of sensation going through my body at that point. Um, and, you know, it's not about that end of it. So I got out and it was okay. Um, in a certain sense, I mean, if it could have not been okay, but I managed to get out, called to my friends to kind of, you know, be really careful going around this bit, and then continued walking. Now, can you imagine how I walked the following steps in relationship? I'd never done walking meditation at that point before formally, but... The care and the attention to each step was remarkable. There was no issue of getting distracted or thinking about something else. It was like feeling my foot going down with an accent. It was like in that situation what happened quite naturally because it wasn't like I had to worry about dying in the future. I had to worry about dying now. Really. I was out there in the middle of this lake. It wasn't like I could say this was a bad idea, let's not do it. We were already out there in the middle of the lake. And it turned out that what had happened and what we figured out later um, was that there was a stream running in under the ice. And it was cutting a channel in the ice long, well out into the middle of the lake that was considerably thinner than all the other ice. And you couldn't see it because it was completely underneath the snow and the ice. But it was there. So anyway, that, that quality of alertness, of attentiveness... It's, it's like a quality of ardency that's really powerful and precious in our practice. When we see that the real danger is not that there's going to be an unpleasant sensation here, because that happens sometimes. The real danger is that we get pulled by the reactivity of our mind into a much more painful condition of being lost in fear or lost in anger and judgment and reactivity in that way. <coughs> And so the attention, the care, is acknowledging, yes, there is something that threatens my well-being here. But rather than worrying about where that's going in the future, it's like really taking care of right now, as well as we're able to. This is what we're asked and invited to do here in our practice. To be with what's going on. 
And what we see in that, of course, with this body is that it's not in our control. We can't make it have the kind of experience we might wish for it to have. We can't just decide, okay, I want to have some pleasant, comfortable, maybe even blissful experience. It is what it is. And in this way it speaks to us of the nature of things. Experience is not in our control. We can't make it happen according to our wishes. Or else we all would have by now. And things would be just the way we wanted them. But probably, if any of you had managed that, you wouldn't be here. And from the point of view of our mind, from our thinking, intellectual functioning, there tends to often be a degree of distrust with regard to the body because it's not in our control. That the the thinking mind becomes uneasy when it can't establish certainties, when it can't control what's going on. And so we tend not to pay so much attention to the body in our normal habitual condition because it's a little bit, initially at least, it can seem a little bit destabilizing. If we're trying to have things fixed and predictable and controllable then being in the body is, is really not that. So we don't really want to be there. And so, of course, then this very strong tendency to be in the mind, that we notice how compelling and how, how quickly and powerfully we're pulled away from the simplicity of our experience of a breath, a step, just being, sitting, standing, walking, doing daily activities, into the thinking about them. And it's partly because... It's painful to experience the condition of our body when it's contracted, when we're reactive, in the grip of fear, in the grip of craving. The body tightens up and it becomes an uncomfortable place to inhabit. And this is something we encounter when we first come to practice. And we think, why would I want to do this, sit here being uncomfortable? Why would I want to feel this when I can avoid it by thinking about something pleasant and entertaining? And yet the truth is we don't really avoid it by thinking about something pleasant and entertaining. We just move that whole reaction, that pain and that suffering into a realm, into a level of unconsciousness where it's still working on our heart and on our life and leads to that sense of dissatisfaction and distress that's often there that we can encounter. But when we aren't trying to control the experience, when we begin, when we learn what it means to make peace with the uncontrollability of our experience that's expressed in our body, equally in other things too, but certainly expressed in our body and how we experience it, as we start to acknowledge it and begin to slowly but surely make peace with that, then the heart and mind start to soften, the body starts to soften when it's not so compellingly in the grip of fear or of grasping, of pushing away or trying to pull towards us experiences, it starts to quite naturally soften the heart, mind, body, which are, we can talk about in their different aspects. They're not ultimately separate from each other, but we can see them in the different ways they express themselves, the consciousness and the emotions and the feelings and the sensations these start to soften. They start to be less tight, less rigid. There's less contraction. There's more space available within that field, that matrix of our, of our conscious life. And as that starts to take place, what also happens is that the bodily life, rather than it being uncomfortable to inhabit, it actually starts to become quite comfortable. In fact, pleasurable, sweet and even delicious to experience. And there may perhaps only be moments that we've noticed that, but there probably have already, and even the short two days of practice so far, been moments where we did relax, where we weren't reacting, rejecting, pursuing. And there's just a moment of, ah. And there can be a sense of just a softening, a relaxing, a sense of, it's almost like a, a yes, Something in us just acknowledges, ah, yeah, 
yeah, this is it's like follow this, look at this. This is this is something to to understand and to develop. That sense of there's a different quality in our body, in our heart, in our mind when we open in that way, when we soften in that way. And so this is something that is really being communicated to us in our in our life, in our meditation. Seeing the way in which when we react, when we reject, when we grasp after experience, the very container in which that experience is taking place and being revealed starts to become an uncomfortable one to inhabit. And as we start to release those habits, those reactivities, the experiences may still at times be challenging or scary or difficult or certainly unpredictable. But the very container, the very sense of the field in which they're taking place is transformed and becomes profoundly inviting to us. So we need to listen to our body. We need to listen to what it has to say to us. Not just the particulars of the story of which bit feels like what and how the sensation or that part of the body is experienced. But that underlying sense of this is how it is. That our body speaks to us. Saying this is how it is. This is what you can attend to. This is a place you can inhabit. Of course, however, for most of us, that's really not easy. And again, it's important not to judge ourselves in that. It's something it takes time to make peace. It takes a deepening of understanding to make peace with our bodies, to make friends with the condition of how things are because we're so used to wishing them other and different. And we're so encouraged and trained in our lives to assume that we'll be able to make them other than they are and to fit in therefore or thereby with what we wished and wanted. So where there is difficulty, where there is pain, We need to see if we can befriend it. We need to see if we can open to it. To be kind to ourselves in those places of difficulty rather than judging or harsh or critical. To notice even just the, the deep reflex tendency we have when something's in pain to contract around it. And it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's as if something hurting, if I squeeze it, it'll stop hurting. Now, something's really feeling tight and hurt, like as if my fist was really tight. I think I'll squeeze it to make the pain go away. You know, is that going to work? It's not likely, is it? And yet we contract around areas of discomfort and pain. So one thing we learn to do is stop squeezing them, stop putting pressure on them. The pressure of wanting it to go away, the pressure of sort of leaning on it. So we can learn to just relax with, relax into. Relax around places of discomfort in our body and equally in our heart and mind. Learning to soften in this way. We can, we can start to see that there's another way we could experience, we could understand this life and this body. Where we wouldn't have to be in conflict with it. We wouldn't have to see it as an obstacle or as something to be controlled or surmounted in our seeking for happiness. So there's another story I'd like to share and it's it's a story that was told by a uh, 
a Buddhist monk, an Englishman, who I had first good fortune to meet in India about uh, it's almost 20 years ago. He was on a walking pilgrimage there, and he's, uh, his name is Ajahn Sachito. He's the abbot of a monastery in in Sussex, and uh, I have the really regard good fortune to know him as both a teacher and a friend. And he told this story. He he was um, on this pilgrimage and came and gave a Dharma talk at the uh, at the temple where I was practicing and. Um, he told the story, and it was just so remarkable that I uh, transcribed it, and uh, I like to share it, and I'd like to share it. Um, I did check out with him that it was okay. So I'll speak it in the first person, but it's Ajahn Sachito who's speaking, not myself. He said, Many years ago I had this particular pain in my right shoulder. I would sit, pain I would think, be with the pain, that will do it. Here am I, being with the pain, being with the pain. It's not working, you know. Maybe I need to do some yoga. Ah, oh, that's got it. Oh no. Uh, cushion. One cushion, two cushions, three, four. Maybe if I angle them to the left, to the right, it's not working. Doctor, can you help me? You've got to help me. Chiropractor, osteopath. Five years I had this pain. I had an extremely active and ingenious mind at trying to find out every possible way to wriggle out of the fact that pain hurts. And I don't like it. A very obvious truth. Yet I hadn't actually come to that, accepted what one glosses over in a few words. I don't like pain. Instead, I had acted on I don't like pain. I hadn't actually examined the experience of not liking pain. I tried to think, well, you should like pain. Pain is good for you. Or pain is bad, make it go away. But I hadn't really looked into I do not like. So, one day sitting in meditation, I thought, this is it, the showdown. I'm going to sit here for five hours, not moving, and I'm going to get over this thing. Pain, pain, wriggle. Why did I say that? Why five hours? After all, the middle way, moderation and all that. The hours go by. Two hours, three hours, three hours and one minute. After about four hours, I was so sick of this pain. My mind had been through all the various circuits of be nice to it, be friendly with it, kill it, and came back to, oh God, this pain. And finally the mind just rested. It got tired out, I guess, eventually. Ignorance does get tired. This is good news. After a while. And has to take a break from being ignorant. And instead of ignoring it and repressing it, it actually began to open to it. Without the... Let's open to it and make it go away. Or let's open to it and then I'll go into some kind of cosmic space. But just, oh, all right. And then I began to see the sensation throbbing away. And it began to appear in my mind as a kind of glowing light. Throbbing, tearing, a tearing experience. And then because of the choiceless attention to it, I began to notice, well, there's that. And then there's this terrible kind of no, no, no feeling going on. Resistance. Then with that a whole lot of bitterness towards the body. Bitterness towards pain. Oh pain, I don't like it. It shouldn't happen to me. What did I do? I'm sitting here trying to be peaceful. Pain go away. And this kind of moaning mind. As I contemplated my relationship to the sensation it became clear to me that there was nothing I could do with the sensation. But I could stop beating it with my mind. I began to have this experience of deep regret for all the beatings and the kickings that this mind had imposed upon life, upon this body, upon itself, upon its thoughts, telling it to shut up, telling it to be this way and that way. And I felt like this whole system was like some mangy dog that had never really been loved, that had just been told what to do and beaten. And in fact this vision arose in my mind of this dog, a kind of mangy, hungry wolf, looking at me, saying, How long are you going to keep beating me for? I felt the sense of deep regret that there should be so much intolerance and harshness towards life. In my mind's eye, something in me reached out to this creature and started to pat it and to say, 
Please forgive me. Then this creature turned into a cartoon dog. I always think of Scooby-Doo. And we were dancing. Me and this pain. Me and the pain. And then the whole thing just exploded very gently. And the pain disappeared. It seemed to say, thank you, finally. I've been knocking on your door for five years. Thank you for opening. Thank you for recognizing that the problem was I do not like. I will not accept. I will not open to you. And once you open, the lesson has been learned. The business is finished. Quite a remarkable experience. He recounts that. And I think it really speaks to something we recognize in our experience. Yet what can also happen, and it's just worth noticing, that we can hear a story like that and think, oh, that's how you do it. As if somehow this is the technology for getting rid of the experience. And yet, as Ramdas said, you can't be with an experience in order to get rid of it. Because it knows. It knows. If we're being with something in order to get rid of it, we're not being with it at all. We're actually putting pressure on it. Just perhaps in a more subtle spiritual way, or so-called spiritual way. When we're really open to something, what that means is it's okay if it stays and okay if it goes. And whether it's there or not is not being given the power to determine whether we will be here. We're not giving it that authority. And in that, we give back to ourselves the power, the capacity to be in our life fully and wholeheartedly. To be kindly towards ourselves, towards our experience, towards our body, however it manifests, to see what this offers us is something remarkable, something beautiful, something precious, and something that's possible for each of us. That we can find our way to this. Not that we can always do it or instantly, but that we can see, yes, this is possible for us. We can make friends with this body by opening to those places of contraction and including in that, of course, opening to the places where we find it hard to open, where we react and close down. Not judging those places either, but simply including them. Allowing ourselves to feel, to be touched by, And in that, softened by the truth of our life. So then we can allow our body to express itself, to be as it is. And we see that when we're not fighting with it, when we're not struggling against it, as we make friends with our body, as we bring a kindliness into this relationship with our experience, we can see that this body is just doing what it does. It's expressing its life, its nature. And that perhaps we can find more spaciousness with how that is, when we recognize that, you know, we tend to think of it as ours, but, you know, this, we, you know, we think of it as my body. But you know you're not the only inhabitant, don't you? This organic system and structure is inhabited by thousands, in fact millions of organisms live in it. If it was a democracy, and we put it to a vote, we would not be left in charge of this thing. And yet somehow we feel very much like it's just here for me. But 
some ways it's equally here for the, uh, the bacteria that are busy digesting your dinner right now and for the small fungi that are busy digesting the space between my toes right now despite my best efforts. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Things like that. We thought it's like, hmm, a little bit unpleasant. Sort of, there's something in, in one, in the sense of who we are, that feels slightly offended by the fact that something's living on me. You know, really living on me, living off me, and yet, in some way, it's going on all the time. That's how life is. You know, probably those little guys between my toes are going to be there when I'm gone. Certainly the guys in my stomach are, and the girls. Sure, if they count as guys or girls, but you know. And how do we feel about our body when we think about it in those terms? It's sort of a little bit different, isn't it? It's like, oh, it's not just my body to suit me. It's sort of like, actually, I'm really quite fortunate to have one of these things at all. And admittedly, it's not perfect. I've got a list of improvements I wouldn't mind making, but maybe that's not the most important thing here. Maybe that's not the most important thing. Seeing we get to make use of this, we have this. This vehicle, we could say. This facility, this capacity, this embodied experience. We could feel some gratitude for that. For the fact that it works at all. I mean, of course, as we get older, we notice more and more bits that don't work that well. But just the fact that it works at all. If you've studied anything of biochemistry, and I haven't really, at least not for 30 years, um, but it's it's remarkably complicated, and any little thing going wrong, it stops. And yet, most of the time, most of it works actually quite well. So it's like, wow, how fortunate! Not to take that for granted, and to see also that you know what is it? At some level, it's just a hollow tube, isn't it? This thing we call our body, just a hollow tube. Got a hole at one end for putting food in, a hole at the other end for. Releasing what's left of it after we've taken what we need. And then we've got a bunch of appendages for getting the food, seeing the food, getting the food, putting it in, and also noticing if someone else is thinking of turning us into some food and getting away. And, you know, that's the basic biological structure. We've also got some bits for making some more tubes. But at a certain level, biologically, this is what's going on. You know, for a certain period of years, food moves through this body, it grows, eventually it fades out, Stops functioning. These elements come together for a while. And yet here we are, embodied, living in one of these. It's like, wow, amazing. How did that happen? And what am I supposed to do with it? You know? Rather than, oh, I wish it could be a bit different. It's like, oh, wow. To see that most of what it does that's crucial, it does by itself. We don't even need to make it breathe. Have you noticed? It's really fortunate, actually. It breathes by itself. Imagine if you had to pay attention to it and the moment your mind wandered off, it stopped breathing. You know, any, anyone who's spaced out for more than three minutes would be dead. <laughs> but, of course, if that were the case, we probably wouldn't space out for very long, would we? We'd really be attentive. Like, whoa, <laughs> if this thing stops breathing the moment I stop paying attention to it, we'd have all been very well trained in being mindful of our breathing, being attentive to that experience. Yet, and yet there's a certain way we can relax. Oh, yeah, it breathes. I mean, it breathes, it digests, it grows, it does all these amazing, remarkable things. When we start to trust that, there's a way we can just begin to relax. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. We can start to open. It's like, oh, yeah, all right, huh. It's all right. We're here. It's going on. It's doing what it needs to do. There's food, there's warmth. I don't need to be quite so afraid for my existence in this moment. And in that, we can start to see more deeply into our body, to see what it has to reveal to us. The Buddha once said that within this fathom-long body, all of the Dharma is revealed. All of the teachings, all of the truth that we need to understand is revealed in this this organic biological structure we call our body. To see that it reveals the nature of things. All things are reflected in the nature of this body. 
this experience that we share, that we inhabit, that is alive, that in its essence, in its depth, in its core, is, is open and unobstructed, is sensitive and alive. When we're not defended, when we're open, when we're not trying to control this experience that we call body or this experience that we call life, there's a there's a dissolving of the the sense of boundary, a sense of limitation, the sense of rigidity that we so often live our life feeling to be enclosed in. And in that dissolving, in that dropping away, there's a there's a there's a quality of unboundness, a quality of unobstructedness, a quality of openness that we find ourselves quite naturally at home in. And that we can learn more and more fully to abide in and to live from. And in that abiding, we're not just abiding in that condition, but we're equally abiding in the vastness of life, which is equally open, unobstructed, and alive. So let's sit quietly for a few moments together. 